Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And I am unbelievably excited for today's show because it has given me a reason to watch so much old basketball, which has been such a joy. We're going to be ranking the top 10 teams in NBA history. So Logan, I will let you get us started. Who do you have in the 10th spot? The number 10 spot was arduous uh, to slot in. I'm going to give you some of the honorable mentions I had here, Carson, to start off. Um, Just missing off my list, the 92 Chicago Bulls, uh, the 83 76ers, the, yeah, the 87 Lakers barely missed my list, and the team that I just cut right before the show because I didn't want to do it to them, the 1967 Philadelphia 76ers led out by Wilt Chamberlain. Um... Dude, they have a really good case here. They have the 12th best playoff point differential ever at plus 9.33. They have the 14th best ever uh, regular season point differential per game and the 13th best uh, regular season overall point differential. And I think it's really remarkable how Wilt was able to elevate his teammates and how remarkable he was as a scorer. But in my 10 spot, I ended up going with the 1965 Boston Celtics for one simple reason. It just didn't feel right to me that I didn't have an old Celtics team here. Uh, they are remarkably better than any other uh, team that I left off defensively. Uh, and obviously, it's a different league, right? It's really hard to gauge these teams. There's only two playoff rounds in 65 comparative to other teams. Like even 67 Sixers, they have three playoff rounds where they go through. Uh, there's only nine teams in the league, right? It's just hard to gauge, but you can only gauge them among their contemporaries, and the Celtics were consistently dominant throughout the 60s, so it just felt wrong to me as a basketball fan to completely leave off any Celtics team from this era. They were so consistently dominant, and I felt I had to put one of them on here. This team wins 60 games in the regular season, Um, and, you know, the analytics 
don't favor them as much. They're not crazy by point differential in the regular season or in the playoffs, but they've got six guys in double-digit playoff scoring. They've got the greatest defensive player of all time in Bill Russell, who wins MVP this season. And they've got a myriad of Hall of Famers and a bunch of scorers, uh, Casey Jones, Sam Jones, Tom Heinsohn. They're loaded. And so I just think, I think their depth is a little bit better than the 67 Sixers. I think they are just far and away better defensively. I think the 67 Sixers are a better offensive team unequivocally. You've got Wilt putting up crazy efficiency, 24-24-8 on 64% true shooting. That's nearly 15% above league average. But I'm going to go with a team that was better in their era, the team that was better defensively, and that had a little bit more depth. But damn, dude, literally right up until me and Carson started the show, I thought the 67 Sixers were going to make my list. That was the toughest omission, but it just didn't feel right leaving off Bill, Bill Russell completely off of my list. I actually think that the 67 Sixers are pretty clearly the best team of this decade. Now, of course, we're just talking about one individual season there because you could legitimately argue anywhere from 60 through 65, any of those Celtics teams, because it's just the best defensive run that we've ever seen by so far, heads and shoulders above the rest of the league. But because they were not really ever efficient offenses in those stretches, I do think the Sixers were able to reach a higher ceiling in that one year because Wilt was such an incredibly efficient hub, such a brilliant playmaker, while also being an incredible defensive deterrent so they were able to reach a really high level there and he had great supporting pieces offensively like mm -hmm. he was the fifth leading scorer in the finals the guys around him were that good at feeding off of him Hal Greer was a fantastic jump shooter a really good playmaker you have Chet Walker who was an all-star and capable of having really big scoring performances Wally Jones a strong jump shooter and playmaker Billy Cunningham a good passer and a really good athlete like there was just such a high level of aggregate skill offensively with Wilt at an apex individually that Russell couldn't reach because Wilt was so good defensively that year and just had a different level of offensive skill and impact. I just think the 67 Sixers are really the peak of that decade. And of course they only have the one title, but I just feel like that's so circumstantial because that core was together so briefly. Like 66 is the only year before 67 that you even have these pieces in place and Wally Jones and Billy Cunningham were very young and then 68 the Sixers were the best team in the league but Billy Cunningham gets hurt in the playoffs they still push the Celtics seven and then Wilt goes to LA so I just don't know that the Celtics being clearly the better overall team this decade by a mile is a justification for them having a higher single year peak because I just don't think that that's True, I think the Sixers were more dominant in the regular season and the playoffs, and I think because of Wilt's incredible two-way peak, they were a better two-way team. Yeah, that's exactly what my brain was telling me before <laughs> we started the show, and then I went, damn, man, am I really going to leave Bill Russell off my list? And that just, that's really what it came down to. All the logic in my brain said, oh, man, the sick point differential, Wilt is so dominant offensively. Mm -hmm. It just didn't feel right leaving Bill Russell off of this list. But I will say, dude, too, going back and watching these highlights, it was hilarious. One, just how much bigger Wilt and Bill are than everybody else. It's comical to me how often everybody is getting to the rack. Like, everybody is concerned at getting downhill. But mm -hmm. also, dude, Wilt's end-to-end -end impact, like, he would block a shot, get the rebound, throw a 90-foot outlet pass, 
his guy would miss a layup, and then right off of the missed layup, Wilt is there to get the rebound and get the second chance points. Uh, his overall impact really is interesting, and it was a lot of fun. I encourage you guys to go back, go on YouTube or something, go back and watch these old highlights, because the game's just played so differently, but it's really interesting to watch these old guys and how much they impacted the game. I'm not going to call an audible here. I'm going to stand my ground, but I will say right up until the buzzer. That's how I felt. Um, I'm going to give Bill, I'm going to put some respect on Bill Russell and these Hall of Famers here, but this was, ranking the top six was difficult. This was the most difficult decision to go with the 65 Celtics or the 67 Sixers, in my opinion. I do think it's also worth noting that the 67 Sixers in their run beat the eight-time defending champ Celtics in five. Like, they were just on another level that season. I have another Sixers team in my 10 spot, though, that it was interesting you mentioned you do not have here. I have the 83 Sixers, who have one of the most iconic playoff runs ever, of course, because of Moses saying they were going to go fo fo fo, and then they very nearly did it. They just lost one game in the playoffs. They were 65 and 17 in the regular season, fifth in offensive rating, fifth in defensive rating. Moses was the back-to-back MVP and was really at his apex here, and I would say was the best player in the league at this point, right before Bird pretty clearly grabs that mantle for the next three years. And he's a very unconventional best player in the league, because although he was a very good defensive big, he is not an all-time great there. He wasn't an overly skilled scorer. He wasn't a plus playmaker. But I legitimately think it's tough to overstate the value of his rebounding dominance in this era. Like in the finals this year, up against Kareem, Moses grabs 18 boards a game to Kareem's 7.5. And And offense just all around. You see it watching any teams from any era, really before the last 10 years. It's just so much less efficient. And so the ability to generate those second chances is so vital, especially when guys are attempting so many shots around the rim. Moses was just the greatest cleanup man in NBA history there. And it really did make him a dominant force and it made the Sixers the best rebounding team in the league. But the supporting cast here is fantastic alongside Moses being the best player in the league. Dr. J, first team All-NBA this year. But I think what we really have to focus on is that Andrew Toney was an absolute monster. He was an All-Star this year, but in the playoffs, I just think you saw his tremendously high offensive value. He led them in scoring against the Bucs, and I legitimately found him to be the more impressive offensive player watching through this playoff run compared to Dr. J. He was very quick. He was a very creative finisher around the rim, mid-range killer, and a really good playmaker. And he outproduced Dr. J as a scorer and playmaker on better efficiency in this playoff run. Of course, this is not peak Dr. J that we're comparing him to. This is 1983 Dr. J. But Tony was fantastic. He was a bona fide star. And before injuries was just one of the most deadly scores and, again, a really good playmaker that the league had to offer. Then, of course, you have Mo Cheeks, great playmaker, great defender, and remarkably efficient as a scorer given how much of it was coming from the mid-range. He was a dead-eye from there. Bobby Jones was sixth man of the year this season, dominant defensive player, really good playmaker. So you just have this incredibly high level of two-way skill from these top five guys, and Mm -hmm. it's a legit path that they go through they sweep a Knicks team that wasn't all that good but then they beat the Bucks with Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson and then really handle the defending champion Lakers sweep them now 
they didn't have James Worthy. He was injured, but Worthy hadn't been on the previous team that won the title. And this was still a historically great offense with Magic and Kareem. And the Sixers were just on another level this year. The only reason I don't have them higher is that they weren't as resoundingly dominant in the regular season or the playoffs as some of the teams above. They do only lose one game in the playoffs, but their point differential of plus 6.5 is, I believe, the lowest on this list. And if you look at a lot of these teams, they were able to reach the height of being like the best offensive team and the best Mm -hmm. defensive team in the league. I don't think Philly ever quite reached those heights. And I also think that Moses, although he was the best guy in the league, doesn't compare as a singular force to some of the other best guys who we're going to see as we go up. It's just an incredibly high standard, but this team was great and they were iconic. And I do think they belong on this list. Yeah, they were a really tough cut for me, especially because the depth is really good. And you talk about that two-way value, Carson. Everybody here is a great defensive asset, too. Dr. J may not have been at his apex offensively. He's nearly 4% below league average through shooting in the playoffs. But he's averaging you know, over a steal a game, over two blocks per game. Mo Cheeks is over two steals a game. Bobby Jones, we know how much of a defensive stalwart he was. Uh, they were one of the toughest cuts for me. They have a legit path. They have legit depth and the best player in basketball. But it is what you alluded to for me. They weren't the best offensive team in basketball. I think you can make an argument that they were the best defensive team. They had uh, the best defensive rating in the playoffs that year. But just not as, like you said, resoundingly dominant as other teams. But they definitely were uh, one of my toughest cuts. And shout out uh, the Boston Strangler for what he did in Mm -hmm. these playoffs. Andrew Toney deserves his flowers. A team whose stats maybe are a little inflated by how easy their path was is the 1971 Milwaukee Bucks, and that's who I have at number 9. 66-16 during the regular season. They did have the number one offense in basketball. They had the number one defense in basketball in the regular season. And what they were able to do during the regular season is truly remarkable. The second-best point differential and point differential per game in league history in the playoffs. The best point differential per game ever. Uh, Minimum four games played behind Mike and Lakers. Plus 14.5. It is insane. And you look at their top three. Kareem. Uh, just leading this team in the regular season, 32-16-3 on nearly 11% higher than league average crew shooting. Uh, you got Big O. He's not what he once was. This is not peak Oscar Robertson. He's not leading this team, but he's a very uh, reliable and consistent second option. Uh, Bobby Dandridge steps in here as a great defensive asset as well, great rebounder and scorer. And they've got decent depth. But what limits them from going higher on my list, because that is a staple of these top teams on my list, they were number one in offensive rating, they were number one in defensive rating, uh, super dominant during the regular season and the playoffs. The Bucks just had a really easy path, Carson. They take down the 41-win Warriors in round one, the 48-win Lakers in round two, and the 42-win Bullets uh, in the finals. They sweep them. It's a great run, but to me, I think that those numbers can be a little inflated because they didn't really play anybody. It's hard to hold that against them, uh, but I am going to. And I think that, you know, while you have this great top-end talent, the best player in the league in Kareem, a really great two and three, the depth is good. It's not great, right? You've got John McLaughlin putting up 16 a night, Greg Smith 12 and 7 a night, and uh, your favorite player ever, Lucius Allen, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, who you could not get off your mind during trivia time. I never can. Uh, putting up 7-3-3. Three, and three. Who can, man? Who I, I, I'm always thinking about Lucius mm-hmm. Allen. When I wake up, when I go to sleep, uh, I don't think their depth is as good as some of these other teams. And so that's what's holding them back. But this is a really good peak. Uh, 
I don't really know. I think that if they had a tougher path to the finals, another legit contender, maybe they could be higher on my list. And if Big O is closer to his prime, uh, that's really what's limiting this team. You know, you've got a they're really good two way, but the depth isn't great, and their path to the finals is kind of easy comparative to really every other team on this list. Uh, respect to what they did, but it's just hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said. Not great depth, not a great path to the finals, so that's what's limiting them. But this is an all-time team, and I think they should be in the top 10 regardless. I have the 71 bucks at number 7, and I think if you were just to look at their metrics in a vacuum, then they would be in the top 5. But I agree with you, it's not just their path. This was just a really down year for the league. There was not another great team out there. Like, the Knicks were probably the second best, but they got very surprisingly upset by the Bullets. The Lakers, you mentioned who they had to go through, and you think of the Lakers in this era, and they won the title the next year as one of the best teams ever, but Jerry West was hurt, so you're not facing nearly the sort of Lakers that you would think of. Nevertheless, though, they were so, so dominant throughout the entirety of this season that I do think they belong a couple spots higher. I mean, 66 and 16 in the regular season, Mm -hmm. plus 12-point differential. You mentioned best offense and best defense. They had separate 10, 16, and 20-game win streaks this year, and they do have the highest playoff point differential ever at plus 14.5 per game. And if you just go through these series, it's like, yeah, they're playing a Warriors team that wasn't very good. They won game five by 50, and their only loss was by two points. And then they go and they beat the Lakers and all four of their wins in that series are by 18 plus points. Just eviscerate them. Then they beat the Bullets. Every one of those wins by at least eight points. So yes, they had a weak path and maybe that limits how high they can climb, but they left as little doubt as anybody. And I do think that Kareem was just at one of the absolute highest apexes ever. You talk about it's funny just how much bigger Wilt is. I think when you're looking at 60s and early 70s basketball, there are certain guys who just stand out and it's like, wow, they are ahead of their time. Like, it's almost unfair to have them on the court alongside other guys like this. Even like Rick Barry, just his level of skill as a shooter and playmaking at his size, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, but especially the just massive guys who are also skilled like Wilton Kareem. They're just on another level, and Kareem more so than anybody else. He's putting up 32-16 and 16 this year. Oscar, of course, had regressed a bit as a scorer, but still such a good mid-range pull-up shooter and such a brilliant playmaker, so good at getting the offense uh, into its actions, so good at initiating in transition. And Bobby Dandridge, I think, is one of the more underrated You mentioned his defensive impact, but also just buckets ever. I mean, very fluid, skilled shooter, above average rebounder and playmaker too. And he is the guy who steps up as their number two scorer in this playoff run. And the McLaughlin for a fourth option is legitimately good. He had been an all-star the two years prior, good passer. So I think Kareem alone was going to make you a contender in this era. And they also put a Great supporting cast around him, especially if you're looking at that top four and uh, really historically good second and third options. So I'm a little higher on the 71 bucks than you, but I do agree with your fundamental point because it just wasn't a strong year for the league and they didn't have that sort of high-end competition in the playoffs, but also even in the regular season. In my number nine spot, I have the 1991 Bulls who... uh, 
in terms of regular season dominance, are not on the high end of this list. They were great, 61 and 21, the best offense in the league, the number seven defense. But 61 wins on this list is not the most <laughs> impressive. But I just think this is very clearly the best offensive version of the Bulls that we ever saw and the most dominant Bulls playoff run that we ever saw. They were the best offensive rating in the league by almost two points this year, which is a pretty notable margin. And I think this is the best Michael Jordan ever. We've talked about it before, but this was the best blend of his athleticism and just unbelievable rim pressuring with his defensive peak because he was still at that level athletically and with really impressive playmaking. He's at 8.4 assists per game in this run. He's absolutely dissecting the Lakers in the finals. He was wildly efficient as a scorer. This is just unbelievable MJ. I also think Scotty in this younger form, was more athletic, so the offense just came easier to him. He was more efficient as a scorer. His playmaking was able to feed off of that. He was also, because of his athleticism, just at a higher level as a defensive playmaker than he is in like the 96 through 98 titles. But then also around them, this is very clearly the most skilled Bulls team offensively. Like a front court of Horace Grant and Bill Cartwright compared to in the later three-peat, Luke Longley and Dennis Rodman. There is no comparison when we're talking about <laughs> finishing in the paint, the ability to get a bucket out of the post. Like these dudes were legitimately good in those capacities. And Cartwright fell off a cliff a little bit after this year, but was still pretty good this season. But then you also have the shooting from John Paxson and from Craig Hodges and from BJ Armstrong. Like those are three of the best shooters in the league at this point. So all around, it's just the best offense in the league. It's the best Bulls offense. That translated to the playoffs where they were also the best offense and the best defense and had a net rating of plus 13, which I believe is the highest in the playoffs of anybody on this list. The Bucks have the better point differential, but that's because the pace was so obscenely high in that era. They swept a Ewing-led Knicks team that really wasn't very good. They beat Barkley and a Sixers team that really wasn't very good in five, but again, they're not leaving much doubt. Then they swept the Pistons, who were the two-time reigning champs, but won just 50 games this year. Isaiah was banged up in this playoff run, so it's not like they're beating the peak bad boys. Still dominated them, and then beat the Lakers in five. Another very convincing win against an iconic team of this era that was not at their apex. Obviously, Kareem is out of the picture by now. Magic is no longer at his peak. It wasn't a great defensive team for the Lakers, and it wasn't their offensive apex either. So, it's not the most impressive path, but it is a very dominant run, and it's certainly a respectable playoff path. So, I'm going to have them here at 9 and not higher because... They didn't have an all-time regular season, and they didn't beat all-time competition to compensate for that, but they sure did whoop on everybody they played. <laughs> they had an all-time offense. It's peak MJ. It's a really great team that I prefer to like the 97 Bulls, even though that was a better regular season team because I just think the offensive gap is massive. Like that team, it was a slog, and once they got into the playoffs – they were pretty much average offensively within that field. This team never had that problem. They were heads and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, I actually do have the 97 Bulls higher, but I think that's a legit, you know, criticism. I know that we try to put, I don't know, man, the Chicago Bulls of this era have such a mystique and aura about them, right? Because it's Jordan, because they got six rings there. 
And anytime we're ever critical about the Bulls, people want to push back. That's a legit criticism about this team. Like Dennis Rodman, the statistical drop-off, we'll get into this later when we talk about those, uh, you know, Bulls are part of the second three-peat. That's a legit criticism that I think limits them a little bit comparatively to other teams, right? They're in a different class defensively because of all the pieces that you have. Rodman, Pippen, mm-hmm. Jordan, Ron Harper, like those guys of the world, but... They really are offensively limited, and I think that's a very important criticism to bring up. So I don't have the 91 Bulls here, but I think they do make a very, very strong case. I ended up going with the later iterations of the team, but uh, I do think that's the right pushback is that, bro, you got Dennis Rodman in the starting five. I mean, I'm sorry, bro. I'm as big a Rodman guy as anybody else, but he was out there to grab a rebound and and not a whole lot else. He's not – well, he's putting up – I mean – four points a game on significantly, you know, horrid efficiency. I do want to be clear that this is all relative. The 97 Bulls were, that regular season, the best offense in the league. They were a Mm -hmm. very, very good offensive team in a offensively brutal era, right? Like, nobody's offense was sparkling in 97. It was slow. It was obscenely physical. But, again, it didn't hold up quite as well in the playoff stage. Rodman had regressed compared to 96. Kukoc had a brutal... Uh, offensive postseason in 97 and when you're looking at Scotty and Jordan just because they were older they weren't the same athletes everything was more of a grind more of a slog for them as well and they just weren't as dominant in the playoffs and the 69 wins are a bit inflated just because of this being so immediately post expansion sometimes I think people can overplay that but I do think that it gives them a few extra wins and when you consider that then the regular season gap just isn't as important as the playoff gap that we've seen between these two teams to me. Yeah. Uh, it, at number eight, I have another one of the greatest regular season teams ever. Another team that won 69 games. That's the 72 Lakers. And I honestly think you could make a case for uh, this team being higher. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one offense in the regular season, number two in defense. They have the best point differential ever of the regular, of any regular season team and the best point differential per game of any team uh, in the regular season. Playoffs not as impressive. They're plus 48 overall and 3.2 points per game. But they go through a legit uh, tough path here. The 57-win Bulls, they sweep. They take out the 63-win defending champion Bucks mm-hmm. in six games. Now, I do want to put a bit of a caveat on this. Oscar took a bit of a downturn after the previous season when they won the title. This is not the same big He was o. also hurt so it's- in this series. He played, but he was hurt. Good point. And so, I, you know, I don't want to overstate that. I did give them the edge over the Bucks team because of that reason, but also because this is a remarkably great team, right? You can look at the top end of this and go, oh, they've got Will Chamberlain. Oh, they've got Jerry West. This is not the best iterations of either of those two guys, right? Will is not at his apex, neither is Jerry. Jerry is at 23-5-9 during his playoff run, Carson, on 44.5 true shooting. It's 6% below league average, right? This is coming from a guy who's one of the best scorers of all time, no hyperbole, right? He's an all-time shooter, an all-time bucket. Neither of these guys are at their apex, but the depth and talent around them just elevates them. You've got Gail Goodrich stepping in at 24-3-3 during this playoff run, Jim McMillan, 19-6-2, and your boy Happy Harrison, who Carson is quite literally the only gentleman I've ever heard mention Happy Harrison (laughs) in my life. I know you love him. At 14-13-2, This is a legit good team around them, and that's why they have to be here, right? You can look back, I think, to earlier versions of these Lakers teams. You can get a better Wilt. You can get a better Jerry. You're not going to get better depth and surrounding talent. In the finals, after dispatching the Bulls and the Bucks, they take out the 48-win Knicks in five games. 
And like I said, this is not dominant in terms of they didn't sweep every team. Uh, their point differential in the playoffs isn't great. But this is one of the most talented teams uh, of the 60s and 70s, I think, point blank, period. Uh, if they faced a better team in the playoffs, if Wilt and Jerry were better um, and just a little bit younger, I think they could make an argument to be higher. And if they did have a few more rotation pieces, but I, I don't want to make that like the crux of my argument too, because you got to think, this is just kind of a byproduct of that era. Teams are not going super deep into their bag, right? There's a reason these guys are putting up these numbers. They're playing 35 to basically, you know, complete, uh, you know, all 40 minutes of these games. So uh, I think this is, they've got legit They've got a legit squad and depth behind Wilton West. They take down the defending champion Bucks, who are still very talented. And you got five guys in double digits. Uh, so I think this team needs to be here. Um, there's just there's just a little there's just a little bit better depth, uh, I think, of teams that are above them. And I will say, every team seven to one, uh, Carson, I, I seriously played with in my like top five mm. and up to my one spot. I, I considered. Every huh? team, like, 7-1. to one. Yeah, I'm serious, uh, up for my one spot. Because we're getting into, you know, all-timers, I think, above this. This is kind of my cutoff point for that. Fascinating. I have the 72 Lakers at number 6. And I will say the one thing that I struggle with in terms of them and the Bucks compared to the 91 Bulls and the 87 Lakers, who I have in my 8th spot, is that, yes... The 71 Bucks, the 72 Lakers, they were certainly more dominant teams within the scope of their era, but they just played in a weaker era. However, mm -hmm. I do think that that's less of a factor for the Lakers because they do have to go through what you mentioned, a very good Bulls team with Jerry Sloan and Norm Van Leer and Bob Love. And more importantly, they do have to go through the Bucks. They have to go through Pete Kareem, and they have to go through that supporting cast, even if it's not quite what it was the year before. Then they beat the Knicks without Willis Reed, but still quite convincing in that series. I just think this was a better team than the 71 Bucks. I think it's one of the greatest regular seasons ever, obviously, and the regular season really mattered at this point, as it did for almost all of NBA history up until the last handful of years. And the 33-game win streak is immortal. It is the longest ever. But to go over two months without a loss is a historic, historic accomplishment and testament to their greatness. And even though you're not getting peak Jerry or peak Wilt, as you mentioned, they're still two of the top three guys in MVP voting. It's still one of the best duos ever. Jerry had a brutal shooting postseason, but he's at his playmaking apex at this point. I think just incredibly cerebral and dynamic creating for others there. He is still having a monstrous defensive impact. He's still very capable of getting downhill, getting to the line, even at, I believe he was 33 years old this season. So the dude was just a dog. And then Wilt was at his defensive peak, even if his offensive volume was much, much lower. Well, I would argue really starting with the 67 season through now, he is a great, great defensive player, but this was very much part of that run. It's hilarious to watch Wilt throughout the years, man, because of his free throw shooting. Like, this guy, this season he's shooting free throws from 18 feet, bro. He's lining up three feet behind the line. 67, he's shooting them underhanded and still airballing them. It's absolutely absurd. I cannot imagine if he played today the, uh, the stuff that we would see about that. But 
It's one of the strongest duos ever with a great number three. And Goodrich and West was the highest scoring backcourt until, I believe, James Harden and Russell Westbrook just a few years ago. So Goodrich was able to just dominate as a scorer and was, in fact, their leading scorer in the playoffs. Jim McMillan is a great fourth option. You mentioned Happy Harrison, really strong rebounder. So this team did struggle a bit more offensively in the playoffs because of West's downturn. But they were a dominant two-way team. They had real star power, real good supporting pieces. One of the great regular seasons with a playoff run that left really no doubt included a win over another great team of this era. So I have them a little bit higher. But I absolutely understand why you have them down at number eight. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Eight. I have another Lakers team here, though, as I mentioned, and that is the 87 Lakers, who you said that you do not have, Mm -hmm. which interests me and surprises me a bit because I think you can really argue this is the best offense ever. Now, I would probably have it number two, but they set the record for offensive rating this year, and then they held that record until it was tied by the 2017 Warriors. It's just a remarkable 
feat to hold a record like that for so long. And obviously there was downturns in offensive efficiencies uh, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. But nevertheless, by the early 2010s, I mean, teams were scoring as efficiently, more efficiently than they were in the mid 80s. And that Lakers record held up. And their playoff offensive rating, even more importantly, of 119.9 is still the highest of any champion ever. Even this year's Nuggets, in an era where offensive ratings are inflated, just barely finished below them. And they were the number four playoff defense. So I think the only knock on them, and I'm going to assume this is what you are using, is that they were a good but not a great team defensively. And I think are the weakest Mm -hmm. defensive team on this list. But when you're maybe the greatest offense ever and you still dominate the competition, I think you are in a spot here. This was peak magic, averaging 24, 6, and 12 MVP, the best scoring version of him that we ever saw. And I always think that's so important to emphasize. He was unstoppable as a scorer. You could not guard him out of the post, especially if you were putting a conventional guard on him. He was just too big and too skilled in transition. He may be the greatest player that we've ever seen. Out of the pick and roll, his scoring and playmaking was brilliant. But the supporting pieces here are the best overall collection that Magic ever had. Worthy was unbelievable in this playoff run. He was putting up nearly 24 points per game on almost 9% true shooting, better than league average, and so incredibly skilled with his back to the basket, so agile running in transition, so good from the mid-range. Just an awesome finisher and a very solid playmaker, and a good defensive playmaker. So he was a fantastic number two. Kareem was still absurdly effective out of the post. Like watching this dude at 40 years old, how gracefully he was still moving, how much he was still just able to weaponize his size and the ability to get off those sky hooks effortlessly. I mean, even the effort that he was playing with on defense was impressive for being 40. He like totally outplayed Robert Parrish in these finals, was still a very high impact guy, which in 88... You can't say anymore. 80, 90 takes another step back. So this was the last version of like star level Kareem. Nowhere near his apex, but still a like 20 point per game, highly efficient score. Byron Scott had really come into his own lethal mid-range shooter. Michael Cooper had a phenomenal shooting run on top of being the defensive player of the year, but he was 49% from deep on legitimate volume in these playoffs and was a really good playmaker. So it's just weapons on weapons on weapons here. A.C. Green and Michael Thompson, who they acquired midseason, were really good supporting bigs. It's just an obscenely talented team. And they ran through the playoff competition, swept the Nuggets, beat the Warriors in five, and then beat the seven-seeded Sonics in another sweep. I do think it's worth noting that they had really bad competition in the West, which just was not a good conference in this era. Combined, those teams had a sub-500 record. They did not face an all-NBA player. But nevertheless, they go on. They beat the Celtics coming off of one of the all-time great seasons. Not quite the same team. Their depth had suffered a bit. They lose like Scott Wedman and Walton is hurt for most of the year. And just by the time he comes back for the playoffs is not the same guy that he was in 86 and his career is basically over. Kevin McHale is playing on a broken foot remarkably well, but can't quite reach the level that he could the year before. But nevertheless, this is a team that really left no doubt, I believe was the greatest offense ever, certainly up until six years ago. And so I do have them here on my list. They were the toughest cut off my list. Number 11 is the 87 Lakers. Number 12 is the 83 Sixers. The reason that I omitted them, though, was because 
a little bit because of the path, because I wasn't as impressed that uh, about their competition. And I want two years younger uh, Kareem. I, I don't know. That that mattered a little bit to but me. But you I have think the depth. two years older James Worthy and Byron Scott, and you have Michael Thompson those now are, and A.C. Green grown, grown into his own. Those are fair arguments. I, I still think the depth and uh, surrounding pieces on the 85 Lakers are really good too, though, and that's the Lakers team that I ended up going with here. Oh. Um, at number seven. So I didn't like completely like leave the Lakers off. Um, they're in my next spot. They go 62 and 20 during the regular season. They have the number one offense and the number seven defense. And I also meant to mention that uh, that's kind of the limiting factor for both of these Lakers teams, right? It's just, they don't have that apex defensively, but they legitimately are one of the greatest offenses of all times. The 85 Lakers in the playoffs, an offensive rating of 117. 5.2 points per uh, better than second place. I did that minimum two series played. I didn't want any one-offs in the first round because those numbers are, it's not a big sample size. Uh, the eighth best playoff point differential ever. The 10th best uh, point differential per game in the playoffs ever. Regular season, not as dominant, but this is a legit path too. They take down the 36 win Suns in the first round. Shout out Mike McGee for showing up and balling, leading the team in scoring 22 and one in that series. Take down the 42-win Blazers, uh, the 52-win Nuggets. I mean, but everybody, they're so deep. You've got six guys, uh, excuse me, seven guys in double-digit scoring in some of these series. And, of course, they do slay a big drag in the 63-win Celtics in the finals. Um, I think that some Lakers teams do have better offensive firepower. Um, and I think... Uh, that's something. But this is still great depth, man. You've got Michael Cooper. You've got Byron Scott. You've got... Guys, in my opinion, Carson, really outplaying where they're at. Uh, James Worthy is 10% uh, above league average true shooting in this run with 22 points a night. Michael Cooper is 12% above league average true shooting on 10 points a night with great playmaking and defense. Bob McAdoo, not crazy efficient, but is still giving you 11 a night in great interior defense. Shout out Kurt Rambis, uh, <laughs> giving you 6-7 uh, on 62% true shooting. I like the depth here. This is still a great uh, all-time offense. You got a lot of great two-way guys, too. Worthy, Magic, Kareem, Scott, Michael Cooper, McAdoo are all really good two-way guys at this point. And so I think the defense is a little bit better. I think the path is a little bit tougher, and the offense is comparable. I do think that their later versions of this team are better offensively, Carson, but I'll give them the edge in that regard. And like I said, dude, every team from here on out, I seriously consider it is. Is this the best team ever? Um, ultimately, the 85 Lakers defense holds them back a little too much for them to climb higher on my list, but this is still an all-time team, an all-time offense with an all-time big three and a great supporting cast. Uh, they got to be here, but their defense limits them a little bit. I just don't see why they're better than the 87 team. Like, Magic is better in 87. Worthy is better in 87. Byron Scott is, is Kareem better. better? No, but that's the only player on this entire list. Like, A.C. Green is, I think, impacting winning more than the version of Bob McAdoo that you're getting. At this point, Jamal Wilkes is a total non-factor. Rambus is still there in 87 to give you his goggles. Like, it was a better offense. <laughs> They're basically equivalent defenses. I don't know. I just feel like they had more really high-level weapons and role players. Michael Thompson, again, is like a real quality role player. This team didn't have that kind of extra big in that role. I don't see it in the path either way. You're running through a really unimpressive West and the 87 Lakers are more dominant in the regular season and the playoffs. 
I just took, I mean, Kareem's age really did it for me. I just want that younger version of Kareem, if I'm being honest. I That mattered a bit to me. It's not like he took a dramatic fall off to 87. Uh, that was the distinction for me. I'd rather just have uh, that younger version of Kareem that's slightly younger. So that was the biggest distinction to me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Kareem's definitely better in 85 than 87, but that's legitimately the only advantage that I feel like this team has over the 87 Lakers. Okay, my number seven is the 71 Bucks. I feel like we have sufficiently discussed that weak competition, down year for the league, but historically dominant regular season and playoffs with Kareem at one of the highest peaks we've ever seen and a really good supporting cast. Who do you have in your sixth spot? At number six, this is a tough team to rank. I have the 97 Bulls here, and I mean, they're dominant. Uh, number one offense, top five defense. Uh, they have the sixth best regular season point differential ever and the sixth best point differential per game ever. Uh, they were fifth in offensive rating in 1997, though, minimum two series played. I think that's important to mention. You talk about the offensive struggles. This is not an elite offense or one of the best in the league, you know, even in their single year, and that's really important. They don't have a dominant, crazy great playoff run, 105 playoff point differential at 5.53 per game. Michael Jordan in this playoff run is at below league average true shooting percentage. I mean, he's still putting up 31, 8, and 5. I don't want to disrespect Mike. He's just not super efficient, and this is not peak Mike, right? He's still giving you all the great value, but Scottie Pippen also is at below league average true shooting. Dennis Rodman, dude, it blows my mind, Carson. I wish I could have lived in the era and seen it, you know, uh, as it was happening. Rodman goes from 6-16-3 in the regular season to 4-8-1 in the postseason on below 43% true shooting. That's insane, dude. It's just you see the offensive limitations and, like, the drop-offs. That's uh, something that, uh, you know, I think we have to mention. This is a great defensive team, right? You've got Ron Harper, a great defensive guard. You've got Rodman, an absolute dog. Pippen, arguably the greatest wing defender of all time. Jordan, obviously one of the great guard uh, defenders of all time, too. And you've got legitimate guys off the bench, too, with Kukoc, with Kerr. Shut up, Bison Deli here for getting minutes, too. But the offense is really what limits them from being higher on my list. I think this is a legit path. They slay two 60-win teams. The Miami Heat, uh, Jordan is going for... Uh, credit to Miami for what they did against Jordan in this series. Jordan is at 38% from the field. Uh, they played really good defense against him. They still take him out in five. Take out a 56-win Hawks team, and as I mentioned, the 64-win Jazz. Jordan goes for 38 points in Game 1 and Game 5 and 39 points in Game 6, still getting buckets. But yeah, the offensive ease is what limited this Bulls team. This is a great defense. They have solid depth, but they didn't dominate the playoffs, and they're not an overwhelmingly great offense when I think every other team above them in my top five was you know, one of the best offenses or just had more reliable offensive weapons, in my opinion, than the 97 Bulls. So that was the limiting factor for me in why the 97 Bulls aren't higher. But, of course, I do have a Bulls team that is higher. Yeah, I think that most of the factors that you mentioned keeping them out of your top five is what kept them out of my list entirely. On the playoff stage, not a great offensive team. It's an incredible regular season, especially when you consider that mm -hmm. Rodman missed time and they went 48 and seven in games that he actually played in the path is solid. Like they sweep a talented bullets team with Juwan Howard and Rod Strickland and C web, but then they beat a 56 win Hawks team. That is good, 
But, like, that win total, I think, is inflated by expansion, like, let out there by Mookie Blaylock and Steve Smith and Dikembe and Christian Leitner. It's not your typical 56-win team. And the same applies for the Heat, which was a great defensive team and a really good team with Hardaway and Zoe and Dan Marley and P.J. Brown, Jamal Mashburn. But in the scope of 60-win teams in NBA history, one of the weakest. So that's where I think it's important acknowledging that those numbers are all a little bit inflated. Again, Rodman's regression, Kukoc having a rough postseason, uh, not getting Apex, Scotty or MJ offensively, all of those reasons. I didn't think that the regular season brilliance was enough to justify the meh postseason when we're talking about this list obviously Mm -hmm. of course given that the regular season wins are sort of inherently inflated by this little pocket in nba history okay my number six is the 72 lakers we've talked about them plenty let's get into your top five man this was so hard dude i legit i thought all of these teams could take home my number one spot i mean that wholeheartedly at number five i have the 1986 boston celtics and i know for a lot of people this is the greatest team they ever watched. And I can't blame them. I, they're insane. They're loaded. This team is stacked. Uh, they have the 12th best regular season point differential, the 15th best regular season point differential per game. They only lose three games in the run. They go 15-3. and three. In the playoffs, they have the second best offensive rating. They are the best defense in the league, 2.3 points better than second place. They've got the 10th best ever playoff point differential and the 9th best playoff point differential per game. You have Larry Bird, who is the best player in the world, I think, right now. Uh, his third straight MVP, 26-9-8 on over 7% more efficient than league average uh, true shooting with two steals per game. Kevin McHale, while he's not top five in MVP voting, bro, I think Kevin McHale has a legit case as like a top five mm. player on the planet taking maybe that, is like taking a, that for my tweet buddy i do think it's a good take Thank like you. dude he is eating yeah. in this playoff run i think he legit could have been yeah a top three mvp like when you're talking about impact of winning neek comes in second in mvp voting i mean when you're talking about winning like mikhail is so much more of a winning asset in the playoffs he's putting up 25 9 and 3 on nearly 10 percent better than league average through shooting with two blocks per game Dennis Johnson, and a great defender, a great playmaker, and a bucket, two steals per game. Danny Ainge, 16-4-5. Damn, man, I'm kind of talking myself into maybe I think they should be higher, yeah. bro. I, I, dude, I really wonder. I, this team is so loaded top to bottom with just really good impact role players. And I don't even, I feel bad calling them role players. These guys are all great two-way. Robert Parrish, chief off the bench. Nearly two blocks per game, giving you 15 and 9. And then you get Bill Walton, one of the best off the bench uh, ever, uh, is at, put it at 8, 6, and 2. Man, I, I really do. I really wonder. You got two top five players in the world. You've got a great cast of role players. Huh. I'm going to stick with them where they are on my list, but they are a legit dominant team, like top to bottom with depth, with their best players. They have a dominant playoff run. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is tough. I'm going to stick them here at five, but like I said, dude, if you have the Boston Celtics as your greatest team of all time at number two, at number three, I don't blame you. This team is absolutely loaded, and I think unequivocally the best team of the 80s. This They were the toughest team to rank for me, but I'll stick them at five. I think they clearly belong at three, and I actually think it's going to be pretty hard for you to argue 
a couple teams above them. Like, just end-to-end regular season playoff dominance. Both sides of the ball. What an insane team this was. And I will say, they look like a present-day Iowa team. Like, they are just Adolph Rupp's what does that? What does that mean? Squad. You can't put together what those mean. Clyde Lavelle would have loved these guys. A bunch, of, yeah. a bunch of white boys? It's the whitest team ever, bro. They're trotting out five white dudes in one lineup. Something about that feels a little bit wrong. But guess what? They were really, really great at playing basketball. I think that this is probably the greatest front court ever. Bird, you mentioned, is the best player alive. Mikhail, I agree with you, was a top five player this season. Like, what he was able to do against Ralph Sampson in the finals at a significant height disadvantage, like going to work against a 7-4 dude one-on-one, is a testament to the fact that I think he is the most creative, craftiest post-scorer that we've ever seen. The up-and-unders, the step-throughs, his ability to get you jumping and then draw fouls at such a high volume. So good on those short-range jumpers. Just a masterclass while bringing really good rim protection, as you mentioned. And I think that his aggregate rim protection... The dual threat of him and Parrish there, just so dominant and pivotal to the defensive ceiling this team reached, which was being the best in the regular season. And then he's also a solid playmaker. And that's like another thing that is so unique and so outstanding about this team is the overall post playmaking, the ability of two bigs to play off of each other on the block. Like if it's Larry on a post up drawing help, finding Chief, who was a great finisher. If it's Bill Russell catching the ball in the high post and then Larry cutting off of that and Russell finding him consistently. It's like there was just a synergy to this team that I don't know if anybody else in NBA history has had. Certainly not from the post like that, but I think this might be the greatest passing team ever. They are the epitome of one more pass, unselfish, let's get a great shot instead of just a good shot. And pretty much everybody seeing the floor is a really good passer. Like, down to Bill Walton coming off the bench, one of the best passing bigs ever. Uh, Bird, obviously, one of the best passing guys of his size ever. Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, very good passing guards. And I do think that it's important to shout out that backcourt because the front court is, as I said, like this level of post-scoring, mm-hmm. post-playmaking, the overall rim protection. They were the best rebounding team in the league. The depth to have three bona fide stars and Bill Walton as the sixth man of the year with his offensive value because of his IQ and passing and still able to protect the rim, even though he wasn't moving all that well with his size. But then you have DJ bringing the playmaking and defense, as you mentioned, but Danny Ainge having an awesome run here where he's up above 15 a game and is a phenomenal shooter and a really good passer and a pest on defense. It's like this team was just so loaded top to bottom, so dominant on both ends and so fun to watch in the playoff run is nuts, dude. They sweep MJ's Bulls, not a good basketball team. And I will say, it is funny watching Dennis Johnson, who's one of the great defensive guards, try to contain MJ. Like, there was just no prayer. Dude, he was getting whatever he wanted. He was such an insane athlete at this stage. Then they beat the Hawks in five. You mentioned Neek was MVP runner-up. They hold him under 40% shooting. They sweep the 57-win Bucks, a great team with all of the classics, Sidney Moncrief and Terry Cummings and the boys. And then they beat the Rockets in six which, you know, was as good of a front court to challenge them as anybody out there could have been. I'm surprised that they beat the Lakers, of course, not that caliber as a team. But a playoff point differential of better than plus 10. Just one of the most dominant teams end-to-end that we have ever seen. Unbelievably talented. 
My number five team is uh, the weakest regular season squad on this list, without a question. They were 56 and 26, and that is the 2001 Lakers. I really don't care that much about that regular season record, although I do think it's maybe a factor in having them at five instead of in my three spot or something. But there's just a few factors that go into that. Derek Fisher missed 62 games. And from when he came back, they were 15 and five. And they really just didn't give it their all defensively this year. They had been the number one defense the year prior. And then they fell to the number 21 in the league. I think a lot of that is just a matter of effort as defending champs. But in the playoffs, they were comfortably number one in offensive and defensive rating. And their playoff defense was actually 10 points per 100 possessions better than the year prior. There's a few big differences between this team and the 2000 team, which won 67 games, but struggled a lot more in the playoffs, going seven with the Blazers, going six with the Pacers. This was comfortably a better version of Kobe. Like, Kobe was a monster at this point. There's a few games in this run, like 48 to close out the Kings, and then to open up the next series Mm -hmm. against the Spurs, he drops 45. 2000 Kobe was 21 points per game in the playoffs on slightly below league average efficiency, and he really struggled in the finals famously, dropping like 16 a game. 2001 Kobe was better than 29-7-6 in this run on almost 4% true shooting better than league average on a really good playmaking run, unstoppable athletically with this incredible mid-range skill. So he had just ascended from like young star to top three player on the planet. That makes a big difference when you have that kind of one-two punch consistently because Shaq was the best player on the planet. That goes without saying at this point. Derek Fisher, also way better than in 2000. He had averaged under five points per game in that run. Then he comes back from this injury, an incredible shooting run in the playoffs. He's over 51% from deep on legit volume. Good playmaker plus defender gives them a really valuable 13 points per game. Just a spark on both ends. Rick Fox had a way better run. He had been under four points per game in 2000. This year, he was 10-5-4 with really good shooting. Adding Horace Grant, either way, you were going with some old guys with championship experience, but I just think Grant was a bit of an upgrade over AC Green. He was a bit bigger, a bit more physical, uh, a bit more skilled offensively. So just these, these slight upgrades that end up mattering. And then you have legitimately unrivaled playoff dominance. I think this is the greatest playoff run ever. They swept a Blazers team that was really pretty similar to the one that had just pushed them. Now, that was a very old team. So everybody regressed a bit. Sabonis, Scotty. They didn't have Bonzi Wells this year. But all of those games, they win by 13 plus. They leave absolutely no doubt. Then they sweep the 55 win Kings who didn't have Mike Bibby yet. And so they weren't quite ready. I mean, this isn't the 2002 Kings, but still, I mean, a dominant showing against a really good team. And then they swept the 58-win Spurs, who I just want to say made me feel so bad for Tim Duncan watching. (laughs) Because Antonio Daniels was clearly the second-best offensive player for them in this playoff run. Old Danny Ferry is starting, who was always bad, but is extra bad when he's in his 30s. 37-year-old Terry Porter is starting. That team won 58 games. That's why I just never want to hear any Tim Duncan disrespect. People, I think, at times really forget how lackluster those early 2000s supporting casts were that he was still dragging to be dominant. And people overestimate how long he played with star-level Robinson. He got like three years of that, and it was nowhere near peak David Robinson. But I digress. The Lakers absolutely blew them out of the water. And then, of course, they just lose one game to the Sixers, which requires an actual AI masterpiece before they put them out to pasture as well. 
This level of Kobe and Shaq very well may be the greatest duo ever and probably is. And with a relatively strong supporting cast, which is what they had this year, it's pretty much unstoppable. And it's really remarkable dominance against a strong path throughout the playoffs. Only reason I don't have them higher is because of the regular season and because I do think everybody above them has better supporting cast. Like if you're looking at the three through six, three through seven range, 86 Celtics are in a different tier, dude. I think the 67 Sixers who I have above them are getting significantly higher levels of impact. And so those couple factors just make up this slight margin. I did consider moving them up to four because of how incredible Kobe and Shaq were and how dominant this playoff run was. I'm going to get into it. I think this is my hottest take of the episode. Um, I have the 2001 Lakers at number two on my list for a lot of the reasons that you laid out. I don't care about the regular season. I don't at all. They go 56 and 26. They have the number two offense in the regular season. And like you said, the number 21 defense, but they're not trying. There's rumblings of a little bit of beef uh, between Kobe and Shaq, right? And like you said, you got D fish missing time. Uh, not a really remarkable point differential, plus 277 in the regular season, not even plus four per game. But this is the greatest individual playoff run, I think, ever. They go 15-1. and one. They only lose game one to Philly in the finals. They have the number one playoff offensive rating, 3.6 points better than second place. They have the best defensive rating in the playoffs, 97.9. That's first. Uh, they're three points better than second place. Point differential in the playoffs overall, the fifth best ever per game, the fourth best mark ever. And I think you are getting some of the best versions of the best duo of all time in this single season in Shaq and Kobe. Shaq has given you 30, 15, and 3 on nearly 5% better than league average true shooting with two and a half blocks per game. People have argued that this is the most dominant force in NBA history, this version of Shaquille O'Neal right here. You can take your pick, either this version or the season previous. Kobe, 29-7-6. It's not little baby Kobe anymore where he's getting dragged by Shaq. This is Kobe stepping into his own and being a legitimate superstar in this run. Over uh, nearly 4% better than league average through shooting with one and a half steals per game. And I think you're right. I think the one knock on this team, Carson, is that the depth isn't great. But when you have the greatest duo of all time, I think it's enough. You have such good two-way players in floor spacing and a guy in Derek Fisher who is giving you 13-4-3 on nearly 10% better than league average true shooting with a steal a game. You got Rick Fox giving you great two-way value. Robert Horry hitting some big shots. Horace Grant is here. Takes a little bit of a step back in the playoffs, but is still a good rotation piece. And this is a legit path, man. Like you said, the 50-win Blazers, they take out. They hold Sheed to 17-8 on 37-36. Was great during the playoffs. And I know Sabonis isn't what he once was. He's at 11-8 in this run when he was significantly better. Shaq gives you back-to-back 40-20 and pieces against Sacramento. 44-21 and in Game 1. 43-20 and in Game 2. Kobe gives you 35-9-4 in this series. They take out the 58-win Spurs, which... I think you're right, man. Put some respect on Tim Duncan, dude. Oh my gosh, that is a hard team. I don't know how they even got there. They knock them out, and then they just handle business in the final. So I think this is the most dominant playoff run of all time. I don't care about the regular season mishaps. I'll chalk that up to them throwing in the towel and just kind of mailing it in. 
They uh, This is the most points per game by a duo in a playoff run. It's 60.3 in Shaq and Kobe. I think this is the greatest duo of all time and their greatest run of all time. And they are one of three teams to lose a game or less during a title run. So the regular season success isn't there. But I think considering this is the most dominant playoff run ever, I'm cool with elevating them up. I think the only knock is that depth around them. But I think it's really, really good when you consider spacing in two-way value, again, alongside one of the greatest duos ever. So I don't think people are going to agree. I have the 0-1 Lakers at number two. I think this is one of the – I think this is the second greatest team ever, point blank. I don't hate it because of the ceiling that they reached in the playoffs. The couple reasons that I will say I have the 67 Sixers above them, which may be – controversial may surprise some people and i think a lot of that is just because we tend to prefer modern teams and we're more familiar with modern teams most of us first of all i mean there is the regular season gap right to do it for the entirety Mm -hmm. of a hundred plus games especially when the regular season really did matter is something that works in the favor of the sixers and the other thing is the lakers beat four quite good teams consecutively But as dominant as this run was, it's not like they did it to a great team. Whereas I think the 66-76ers just running through the eight-time defending champs is really remarkably impressive in tandem with a 68-win regular season. So I feel like I've talked about this team enough just in relation to you not having them here. I do just want to say, though, this version of Wilt had fully figured the game of basketball out. He was able to dominate as a one-on-one scorer, but more importantly, he was able to weaponize that to make everybody around him so much better. Like, I mean, he's just dotting up cutters. He's running handoffs all the time and getting guys good looks from the mid-range. Like, just an unbelievable offensive hub. Great efficiency. And defensively, yeah, the dude was absolutely blocking 8 to 10 shots a game. Now, he's goaltending a couple, mm-hmm. too. He was very ambitious getting up there. But, man, nobody wanted to try him. And then the supporting cast was really great. I know that maybe people don't know Hal Greer's name, but he averaged 28-6-5 and five in these playoffs. And Chet Walker was a seven-time All-Star who was the third option on this team. Wally Jones and Billy Cunningham were both capable of scoring 20 points per game in the finals, which they did. Billy Cunningham wasn't at his apex yet. He would go on, though, to be like a a dominant first-team All-NBA kind of guy. Great playmaker, really good athlete, as I've mentioned. Luke Jackson, who's the sixth guy here, was really big and strong and impactful on the glass and had a little bit of skill to his game. So the top six was just insane. The regular season and playoff run in combination – was so so dominant wilt averaged 22 32 and 10 against boston and like we did our top 10 individual playoff runs list after what Jokic did the cut that keeps me up at nice at night most is definitely 67 wilt because of his two-way brilliance and what it empowered this team to achieve and again i just wish that we could have seen the window with this specific core go for longer because I mean, they could have won more titles. It could have changed our outlook on Wilt. And I think that it could have made people more familiar with them as a top five team of all time. Yeah, I'm mad at myself for leaving this team off, dude. Uh, Bro, they have nearly five 20-point-per-game scores in the finals against that Warriors team. Like, I I think you hit it on the head. Wilt is doing so much at this point in his career to elevate his teammates. It's like, damn, man, yeah, if we did have a little bit longer this streak where he's 
this great at passing the ball and this great at being unselfish and elevating his teammates, and they have more longer sustained success, I think they'd give him a little more props. This is a legit cast. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, I do actually. I think they should be here. And I realized I leapfrogged over my. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I don't think we shouted out Wally Jones for having a nasty sky hook at 6-2. That's all I wanted to say. It's hilarious, but it worked. I, I do want to say one more thing, though. The unofficial stat, I don't know how accurate these are because, you know, obviously blocks and steals weren't tracked back then. Some people say that Wilt was at like 9.2 blocks per game. I mean, that's absurd. I totally believe absurd. it. I genuinely believe it. And Watch I- <laughs> a full game from this era and count. I mean, it feels like every single time he's up between 8 and 10. And I would maybe take over. Yeah, I was going to say, I might even take the over, dude. Uh, I realized that I leapfrogged because uh, I gave away my number two. My number four is the 2018 Golden State Warriors. And similar to uh, L.A., not a really dominant regular season. They're 58-24, and 24, number three offense, number two defense. Like I said, I'm going to kind of you know attribute that to them mailing it in. This team had just come off one of the greatest runs ever, and they don't really dominate, you know, the way they did the season previous. They are the number one offense. They're 1.9 points better than second. Uh, they have the number one defense. They're 2.9 points better than second place, minimum two playoff series. Um, they have the third best playoff overall point differential ever and the 11th best playoff point differential per game. I just think that if I'm going to have the Golden State Warriors, the previous year's iteration so high, I think I have to have this team here. Uh, I don't think they're as good as the year previous i don't think they are as engaged but you still have one of the greatest duos of all time kevin durant and stephen curry putting together the six most points per game in a single playoff run by a duo at 54 and a half points katie's at 29 curry's at 25 and a half they're just two of the greatest offensive players of all time you've got one of the greatest defenders of all time in draymond green an elite floor spacer in clay thompson still at you know nearly 20 points per game this team does get pushed to seven games in the Western Conference Finals by the Houston Rockets. Chris Paul gets hurt. A lot of people still say to this day, if Chris Paul's healthy, they probably get the job done, and this Warriors team doesn't win, and that'd be a huge stain, right? All this accumulation of talent, and they don't get the job done. Ultimately, they do. They finish business. They get the ring, and I just thought it was too big of a logical inconsistency for me that if I'm going to have the 2017 Warriors as high as I do, to not have this team here. They weren't as dominant, and they didn't run through the playoffs as seamlessly as they did in 2017, but this is still an all-time accumulation of talent, and they were the best offense and best defense in the playoffs, so I'm going to give them their credit. Uh, They're still loaded. Yeah, I mean, they were a real honorable mention for me. Reason I don't have them here, again, end-to-end dominance for 100-plus games. I do not think that they compare to a lot of the other candidates, and they didn't consistently reach that super high gear like they did in 2017 where it was just like every night they were going to absolutely dominate you they drop a game to a spurs team that was mad they drop a game to a pelicans team that was mad they go seven against a rockets team that yeah was really good but they very well could have lost that series and then the Cavs team that they beat in the finals just sucked i mean it was not a good basketball team it was superhuman lebron and a, a laughing stock of a supporting cast in the scope of going to finals and they still should have lost game one of that series so i don't know man i understand what you're saying i would argue it's not a logical inconsistency though because although mm-hmm. the talent was very similar the consistency of reaching the ceiling was not that 2017 team was dialed in in a way that the 2018 team wasn't and that's why i'm okay with leaving them off my list that's fair okay so my number three is the 86 celtics i've already done my full rundown on them 
Who do you have in the three spot? Number three, I have the 1996 Chicago Bulls. And I mean, this is obviously one of the most iconic runs of all time. A lot of people would argue them at number one, 72 and 10. It don't mean a thing without the ring. Mm. Shout out them 2016 Warriors. Best offense in the league, best defense in the league. They have the third best point differential overall in the regular season. The third best point differential per game ever in the regular season. They have the number two playoff offense and the number one playoff defense. 1.4 points better than second place. They have the ninth best playoff point differential ever and the eighth best point differential uh, in the playoffs per game ever. Uh, Yeah, I mean... This team is a lot better than the 97 iteration. You're getting Jordan at 31-5-4, better than league average efficiency. Scotty's not as great offensively. He's actually really inefficient, but I think he makes up for it with superb playmaking, great defense and rebounding, and still one of the best defensive teams of all time with Harper, with Rodman, with Pippen, with Jordan. They are absolutely loaded. Um They take out the 64-win Sonics. I don't think enough people put respect on how good that team was. I think offensively limited a little bit, but this team was legitimately great defensively and really pushed Chicago in the finals. They take down the 60-win Magic with baby Shaq there in four games. A legitimately great team. And two rounds previous, 47-win Knicks, 42-win Heat, still two solid teams. Rodman plays just 59 minutes in that opening round. Uh obviously the best record of any team that won the finals. The limiting factor for me, why I have them behind the Lakers, is the offensive dynamism. And yeah, maybe it's wrong of me to hold that against them because they are the best offense uh, with an offensive rating of 115.2 in the regular season, offensive rating of 111.5, second best in this playoff run. That's what held them back to me. I just think that the Lakers were able to reach an offensive ceiling that the 96 Bulls couldn't. Uh, because of Scotty's struggles, because of Rodman's limitations overall. And I think the 2017 Warriors were just also a great defense, but the best offense that I've ever seen. The way you talk about the Boston Celtics, that one more pass. Screw a good look. We want a great look. I thought the 2017 Warriors reached offensive heights that no team is able to reach. And so that was ultimately the limiting factor for me and why I don't have the 96 Bulls higher. But I get it, you know. I get it. The record, the point differential, all the numbers speak for themselves. Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, they speak for themselves. But I am going to hold the offensive dynamism against them, and that's why they're at number three for me. But the end-to-end dominance really is there. The consistency night-to-night and the defensive peak are all remarkable. Yeah, I can see an argument for the 0-1 Lakers over them. I do think, though, like the Bulls were clearly the best offense in the league. And they were clearly the best defense in the league. And I think that they are a historically great defense overall. So I don't know, man. I mean, to have a regular season of this caliber, and then I just feel like the playoff gap between them and the Lakers in terms of dominance is marginal. The Bulls are still posting a plus 12 net rating in the playoffs. Absolutely dominant. Uh, they are blowing through the competition, sweeping the Heat, beating the Knicks in five, beating a 60-win Magic team, sweeping them, that I think is better than like the 61-win Heat team that they had beat uh, the next year. And obviously, that Magic team had just been to the finals. And then they beat the 64-win Sonics, who had beat the Jazz, who would go to the finals the next two years, and who had swept the two-time defending champs, Rockets. I think it's a really solid path that they absolutely obliterated I think that they are, even considering the 
bit of inflation that you have from expansion, the greatest regular season team ever versus the weakest regular season team on this list. I do value that. And I think that it's at the very least a tiebreaker between two historically great playoff teams. So this was a, a phenomenal connection collection of talent. MJ was the best player alive. Scotty was first team all NBA and first team all defense. Rodman was first team all defense. Kukoc was sixth man of the year. Just a historically great two-way team. And I do have them in my two spot. But I think we're going to agree on number one. <laughs> well, we do. But why is it the 2017 Warriors for you? You know, I didn't get to watch the 96 Bulls in person, right? You know, you can go back and watch. It's not ever going to give you the full scope of of what it was. But the 2017 Warriors, to me, just played perfect basketball. It was basketball perfection. I know a lot of people hated that team, right? Kevin Durant, 73-win Warriors, lose in the finals. Uh, one of the all-time chokes. KD goes and joins the team. I know a lot of people hated them. To me, I loved it. I loved every single minute of KD, Curry, Clay, and Draymond playing together. It's such a collection of talent, of skill, of shooting and scoring ability, of IQ, intelligence. It's beautiful. I miss it. I honestly miss it. I wish we could have got it for a little bit longer, if I'm being honest. To me, that was peak basketball. I don't know if we're ever going to see a team that gels like that, that just creates offense with such ease, and then... With that, you've got great defensive pieces. You've got great role players, and they dominate. They have the number one offense in the regular season, the number two defense in the regular season. Uh, they flip on that in the playoffs, the number two offense and the number one defense, minimum two playoff series played. Uh, they have a point differential per game in the playoffs of plus 13. They only lose one game on the way to the finals. And again, you're talking about all-time duos. I think that's a big linking part of all of my top teams, right? You have Mikhail and Bird. You have Curry and KD. You have MJ and Pippen. You have Kobe and Shaq. This is an all-time duo with, I think, the best supporting cast of any of these teams. Such skill, such brilliance, such intelligence, and an all-time defensive peak. Like, I just think this is basketball perfection. I don't know if we're ever going to see a team that plays and, and flows like that's the big thing to me too is you talk about the synergy right of the 86 Celtics I think the only team that pushes them in that regard of unselfishness of team play of beauty is that 2017 Warriors team where it just flows yeah. and everybody can play so perfectly off of each other if it's Curry with the ball in his hands creating for KD if it's KD creating for Steph off ball it's just the perfect puzzle pieces coming together and fitting I get it. They were stacked. They were loaded. It felt like cheating. I remember the exact spot where I was when Kevin Durant said he was going to the Warriors. I was at baseball practice. I was talking to my boys, and my boy Booty <laughs> came up to me. Yes, we called him Booty. He came up to me, and he said, Kevin Durant just went to the Warriors, and I called him a liar to his face because I said, that's absolutely preposterous. How could he do that? He did it. He created basketball perfection. And I'm thankful that we got to witness it, man. I think this is the greatest team to ever play basketball. Uh, no two ways about it, man. They're just stacked, and they play beautiful basketball. I agree. I mean, it's not just the highest level of talent that we've ever seen. It's, as you mentioned, like such an ideal basketball fit. Steph and KD, to me, is the best offensive duo ever. I think that you can argue Kobe and Shaq above them because of a gap in two-way impact, but these two were perfect. And KD was thriving defensively this year. Like, he was so good as that secondary rim protector. He was dialed in. 
And he was also at peak offensive efficiency, 65% true shooting in the regular season, and then 68% in the playoffs. The shot quality playing alongside Steph was so obscenely high. Meanwhile, Steph is coming off of one of the greatest seasons ever and had a phenomenal postseason run, 28-6-7 on 66% true shooting. It's probably his best postseason run in terms of getting downhill, getting to the line. He was high volume by his standards there. And it's maybe his best pull-up jump shooting run, 42% from deep on obviously like 11 threes a game. And one of his best playmaking runs. So like Steph was empowered to play his best basketball, as was KD. And we have never, ever seen anything like those two in the finals. Like KD putting up his 35, 8, and 5.5 on 70% true shooting. Steph putting up 27, 8, and 9.5 on 62% true shooting. It was a level of dominance that no duo has ever achieved outside of them. But then you also have to consider that I think it's the best three and four in NBA history. Like Draymond was so unbelievably good in this 2016-2017 range. He was all NBA. And I think it's important to remember some of the key differences between him today and him then. He was a much more capable shooter. 2016 was his best shooting regular season, but he was actually 41% from deep on pretty good volume in these playoffs. He was a younger, better athlete, so he was a more dynamic defensive playmaker. 3.4 stocks per game in these playoffs while still being unmatched in terms of his versatility and his defensive genius and processing there. He was much more of a threat getting to the rim because he was a better athlete. Averaged two and a half times the at-rim attempts of what he did in this past title run in 2022. So just more prolific and efficient offensively, able to reach an even higher ceiling defensively while still having all of his playmaking brilliance. And then Clay was at his peak scoring volume and efficiency and his defensive value. He was able to get to the rim more as a better athlete, taking over double the shots at the rim that he is today. Again, was an all-defense caliber guy, which he obviously isn't anymore. So, like, you were just getting such incredible versions of those guys. They were probably four of the top 20 players in the NBA, and clearly two of the top three. Iggy was still really good. The starting five had an offensive rating of 121 and a defensive rating of 98. The death lineup, which is just swapping in Iggy for Pachulia, was almost identical. And it's the greatest offensive team ever. Their offensive efficiency percentiles for their five most frequent play type slogan, 93rd percentile transition, 97th percentile spot up, 93rd percentile off screens, 87th percentile cut, 87th percentile pick and roll ball handler. It's the greatest shooting team ever. It was the best defense in the league. You mentioned their playoff dominance. Sweep the Blazers. Beat the 51-win Jazz in a sweep. Beat the 61-win Spurs without Kawhi in a sweep. And I will say, I think maybe the only argument against this team being number one is that they were getting their ass kicked for two and a half quarters by Kawhi and the Spurs when he was actually healthy. I don't know how compelling that is. I still think they definitely would have won that series. And I just think, again, they reached a level of offensive brilliance that nobody has, especially in tandem with this kind of defensive dominance if you're comparing them to, like, the 87 Lakers. And then they beat a Cavs team that was really good in five with, again, Katie and Steph reaching a level that we've never seen offensively from any other duo ever. So I just think best top four, nobody's touching this level of offensive genius, best defensive team in the league, best shooting team ever, such a great passing team, such beautiful basketball synergy. 
one of the absolute best top two to me pure bucket getters ever alongside maybe the greatest all-around offensive player ever talking about Katie and Steph here you just can't beat that and yeah it's like it was literally unfair they took a 73 win team and then added a top three player on the planet I'm sorry but I think that that pretty clearly created the best basketball team ever as much as I love the 96 Bulls and respect them. We've never seen anything like the 2017 Warriors. We truly never have. I think I think it's I think it's legitimately hard to argue for any other team. And I think it's I also want to say something else. Anytime we have these top 10 team debates of all time, I feel like the discourse always devolves into oh well, who would win in a, you know, who would win in a game or like anytime we're debating players who had the skill set. I think it's I don't think you can do that because basketball changes so frequently. Eras are just played differently. Like there's so much more shooting and spacing now. It's hard to do that. And I think it's just better to judge them among their contemporaries where both of these teams are just head and shoulders above everybody else in their group. Right. So I just, I also, I do think if we're doing the comparison, Logan, it shakes out relatively clearly. Like if you're taking a duo between 96 MJ and Scotty versus 96 KD or versus mm-hmm. 2017 KD and Curry, I'm clearly going to take KD and Curry. Then after that, it gets way yeah. more clear. Like all of the good supporting pieces on the 96 Bulls do not compare in, in terms of all around brilliance compared to like these bona fide stars like Dre and Clay. Like if it's Dre versus Rodman, I have a feeling some of the same people who shit on Draymond for not being a skilled scorer probably elevate Dennis Rodman in some way because I, they probably haven't actually watched Dennis Rodman or they have created some distorted memory of what he really was. Like, there is no comparison, man. They are both all-time defenders, and then one of them is actually able to bring legit offensive value, especially at this peak. Draymond is that guy. Clay versus, like, Ron Harper... I mean, it's not even remotely a conversation. So it's just, they're the best team ever. They were built to be the best team ever. And guess what? They did it. 100%. 100%. Are there any other tough cuts, honorable mentions you want to shout yeah, out? I, shout out all those other 60s Celtics teams. Um, literally yeah. every one of them. Uh, I think 65 was the best. And like I said, it just came down. It, it didn't feel right. I don't know how I can have a, a greatest teams of all time list without them. But I do think you made a good case uh, for the 67 Sixers. Uh, shout out some teams that didn't win the titles. Shout out the 2016 Warriors. Shout out like the uh, 93 Suns. Or not the 93 Suns, excuse me. Uh, no, was it the 93 Suns? I can't. Barkley? Yeah. It was 93, yeah. right? Um I think that's an all-time team. When you think about talent, too, Barkley, the best player on the planet, Marley, Kevin Johnson. What? What? Michael Jordan was around. Yeah, I mean, he won MVP that year, though. I think Barkley's this number guy. two. Okay, there's a difference between first and second, buddy. If you ain't first, you're last. Dude, Charles was – he was gnarly. Uh, obviously, a tenant of being one of the ten best teams of all time is winning a title, so you can't have any of those. Uh, I want to shout out uh, the Rockets team with Hakeem, too, and Clyde Drexler. Uh, I did consider them. I just think it's tough when they add him mid-season. Really? Well, I mean, I think that depth-wise they don't compare, but it's still a very tough run, and it's a very good duo um, offensively and defensively. So I did consider them. Uh, wasn't close, but those those were all pretty close cuts for me. 
Um, but I'm pretty happy with how it shaked out. But the toughest cuts, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, the 87 Lakers, the 83 Sixers, very, very close, and the 67 Sixers all had legitimate cases to cracking my list. I would also like to shout out the 2014 Spurs, oh, I think. Sorry, the yeah. 08 Celtics, yeah, and the, that Spurs team, too. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just not quite this level of dominance. They had to go through a really good West, but they did trip up a little bit there. But then they just obliterated the Heat. I also think the 2013 Heat were a really great team, but again, just pushed a bit too far. Really, arguably, uh, might not have been the best team in the league that year at the end of the day against the Spurs. I do think if you're going to argue anybody who didn't win the title, it's got to be the 2016 Warriors. But I don't know, man. You have one objective at the end of the day, and uh, they did not achieve that objective. And so I don't think that you can have them among the top 10 ever. But pretty much everybody else who you shouted out, I would agree with. Not the 95 Rockets. They're not on my short list. Really tough path. Shout out to them. That was not a historically great team. I also have the 92 Bulls here. Uh, that was like their best regular season out of the first three-peat. I wrote down the 78 Blazers who... Did not win the title. This was the year after, but they were 50 and 10 when Bill Walton got hurt, and they had really put it all together in a way that they hadn't the year prior. Another one of the all time what ifs. But yeah, man, there are so many great teams throughout NBA history. And honestly, it was a joy to just go back and get to watch so many of them and then come here and talk about them with you guys. So that's going to do it for us here today. We're going to do a mailbag next week. So if you guys have any questions that you want us to talk about, it can be NBA, NFL, all time, current. You can drop them anywhere. We'll put out an official tweet later that you guys can reply to, but you can tweet at us before that. You can comment on this video. Uh, you can hit us up on Instagram, comment it on TikTok. Wherever you want, we will be accepting topics, and then we'll pick whatever interests us most. You can also, of course, find more Nerd Sesh content on the Volume YouTube page. Please subscribe if you've enjoyed. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can get some of our merch at thevolume.com. Logan's sporting it right now. We got the flags behind us. That is also in our link tree across our social media bios. You can follow us across social media, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh, and you can join our Discord if you just want to talk basketball, football with us. Whatever floats your boat, you can go in there any time of day, and uh, we very well might see it, and we might talk with you about it. So, you can check us out in all those places. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Braver. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st. 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. 
From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.